Welcome into the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzim Vasugian, the host of the podcast. Hope you guys all had a great holiday weekend. Uh, and even beyond that, uh, been a while since we've last done an episode. A lot to get into here on this podcast. Uh, a lot we're going to go over. We're going to introduce Zach Stegnut in just a moment, our co-host for this podcast. Been looking for a co-host for quite some time, and now we've uh, we've got a co-host. So we'll get into into that shortly. We'll introduce him in just a moment. The Chiefs, a lot has happened since we last done an episode. The Chiefs now have an NFL draft coming to Kansas City. We will talk about that a little bit. And if Kansas City is now starting to become the destination for big events, because we have seen a lot of notable events in Kansas City recently, and in the, in the near future, we've got a couple of events coming up as well, potentially. So we'll talk about that as well. Some roster moves going on with the Kansas City Chiefs, and then we're going to do our closing segments as usual, and we're also introducing a new segment called the Hot Take of the Week. Very excited for this. A couple of you guys sent in your hot takes. We, in fact, we got a phone call about that. Uh, I think we've got to go over as to what a hot take is, because some people may not understand what a hot take is. Uh, not necessarily making a valid point, but uh, it, we'll go over it later on. Uh, and I did mention uh, calling in. You can call in. You can text the podcast now. We've got a couple of texts that we will read later on. Again, the number 913-808-2119. You can leave a voicemail. You can text into the show. Again, that's 913-808-2119. Facebook.com slash Farzi Vesugin. That is my Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter at Farzi21. And before we get started, I do want to give a big thank you to everyone who sent me uh, happy birthday wishes uh, last week. Appreciate all of you guys who did that. Uh, very kind of you. Here's my thing with birthdays. My, it's, it's like during high school... My birthday was always on the same day as finals, and then my fir- my after completing my first year of college, the first day of summer was my birthday, which was the most relaxing birthday I had had. And I, I'm always just down to just, I mean, to me on my birthday, I, I'm not, I don't like to get too crazy or anything. I just like to relax. Uh, if it's on a Friday, hey, I'll take the day off. If not, I mean, it's just another day for me. But uh, I appreciate all of you guys who were kind enough to send that to me. Very uh, appreciative for those of you who did that. Uh, obviously, I mentioned we do now have a co-host here on the podcast. Very excited to introduce this gentleman here on the podcast. He's on Twitter. Give him a follow. Some of you guys already have. If you haven't, you want to follow this guy. He is a Jayhawk, if that matters in any situation. But nonetheless, a uh, very good guy to have on the podcast. Very excited to have him on here. I've worked with him at KU's student-run radio station, KJHK. In fact, we won an award together uh, the KAB Award, Kansas Association of Broadcasters Award. He is Zach Steginga joining us here on the podcast. Zach, welcome into the Chiefstone family. How are you? I'm doing great, Fars. I appreciate you inviting me to be a co-host. This is going to be great fun because, honestly, it's been a long time since you and I have worked together, but definitely fond memories from the KJHK days. Yeah, we'll have to play some audio clips. I mean, there's there's one incident that you and I discussed. I don't know if we want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, with um, with a football game. In fact, I remember when I when I met you, uh, we were doing uh, a football game in 2012. It was KU and I think South Dakota State. I always get North and South mixed up, but I think it was South Dakota State. And I think you had actually knew a little bit about me. You had mentioned that you had mm-hmm. read myself on Bleacher Report, which is pretty cool. Uh, I didn't even know people read my stuff to begin with. But uh, that was the first time you and I had worked together. And, and I'm not saying this just because you're on here and everything, but you were – you're like not only one of the more knowledgeable guys to work with, but you're one of the easier guys to work with, man. I mean, and you were a freshman at the time too. It's it's just, I, I remember working at that student run radio station and I mean, not to bash anybody, but 
there were some people in student media, whether it was radio or um, uh, the, new, the student-run newspaper. I mean, they just had no idea what they were doing sometimes, and it was just the most annoying thing ever. Yeah, couldn't agree more on that front, but you know, it sure has been fun, and I'm definitely excited to uh, you know join the Chief Zone family, so to, like you said, and uh, you know, excited to see where this goes. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm glad I got a co-host for this one because we do have, as I said, a lot of topics to get into. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs getting the NFL draft, a lot of rule changes going on, including one that the Chiefs proposed. Uh, not going to have that rule change this year, and also the Tyron Matthew incident. Uh, something going on there that we should bring up here on the podcast. And Roger Goodell commented on the Tyree Kill situation. All of that and much more here on this episode. But let's start first off, Zach, with the NFL draft coming to Kansas City. They did announce that in 2023, the NFL draft will be in Kansas City. Uh, next year, 2020, it'll be in Vegas. 2021, awarded to Cleveland. 2022, that has not been determined yet. I think they would have given it to Kansas City. But because uh, of the airport situation going on with KC trying to build that new airport, it won't be ready by then. So I think the NFL wants to wait for that. And therefore, Kansas City is going to have it in 2023. It's just a little under four years away. And because the NFL is now traveling to all of these different cities, instead of having it in New York City at Radio City Music Hall, which was the case for years, now they're going to all these different destinations. I know Nashville, I mean, they had a great turnout and a lot of people really enjoyed going there for the draft, and now this is starting to become a big deal for all these cities. Kansas City now has, like I said, almost four years to prepare for this. They're going. It's going to take place, I believe, in and around Union Station and the World War One Museum, which is going to be very cool. Obviously, they'll show downtown PNL. They'll show Crown Center, uh, the, the, the Plaza, so many, uh, the, the Negro League Baseball Museum. Even though it's not a football-related thing, it's still a big moment in sports. It's still one of the popular sports attractions here. So, uh they're going to show a lot of great things in the city. And like I said, almost four years away, the people uh, responsible for this, the Kansas City Sports Commission, they've got some time to learn from other cities and try to make this the best they can uh, for, for, by the time 2023 comes around. Absolutely. And I like the fact that they've got it already laid out where we have a lot of time to prepare. It's not like it's coming in immediately next year and we're going to have to scramble, given the airport situation being what it is. I also wouldn't be surprised to see you know, showing that they've got Vegas in 2020, then Cleveland, then it's TBD. I bet you they're going to start going big city, small city, and just kind of start alternating that back and forth. And I think that that's, it definitely beats the alternative, which I had initially anticipated, which was they were just going to kind of tour around the really big cities and the small cities might have been a little bit left out in that regard. So glad to see Kansas City got it awarded. Yeah, and obviously Vegas, because the Raiders are moving there pretty soon, they want to... Uh, kind of build that place up as an NFL town. Uh, Cleveland, obviously, n- not a big city, as you mentioned. You know, you mentioned 2022. It, it kind of makes me wonder if they're going to go back to New York. I mean, it it was the home for the NFL draft for the longest time. But because um, I heard on Sirius XM, they mentioned that the thing about New York City is they feel like they took it for granted having the NFL draft there. And now that the NFL draft is in all these other cities now, that New York City kind of misses the draft. So I don't know if they would be willing to go back every once in a while. I'm not sure. Uh, or if they prefer to go to as many places as possible. I think that's something to consider. But uh, aside from that, though, I mean, look at Kansas City, what they've had the past few years. You had the Major League All-Star game here in Kansas City. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, 
for the All-Star Game, the Home Run Derby, and the Celebrity All-Star Game uh, in Kansas City. They packed the house for all three of those events. They had the MLS All-Star Game. I know it's not as big, but still, it's something that you had here in Kansas City. You had the World Series in back-to-back years in 2014 and in 2015, the AFC Championship Game in Kansas City, and possibly a World Cup event in Kansas City in a few years. Uh, Still ways away, but that is a possibility to have in Kansas City. And now you've got the draft coming to Kansas City. This is starting to become a city where you're getting some of these notable events and that's great for the city a lot of people in this town feel like that you know we've always been viewed as you know a flyover town here in Kansas City that uh, Kansas City is is not a big place when uh, I, I think a former um, a basketball assistant for Mizzou mentioned that it is one of the better secret cities uh, what he called it uh, in the country which is which is pretty cool to see Kansas City start starting to get that kind of attention and these kinds of events. I agree, and it's that's well put, the secret city, but it's a well-kept secret in that it's kind of a hidden gem, really. Uh, I think that it's yeah. the sort of town that once people, I mean, if you don't have a reason to come to Kansas City, you might miss it, but I think a lot of people, once they do make it to Kansas City, the, that this town just has a way of getting people to stick around, and I think it's going to be really exciting, especially with the World Cup. I think that right now we sent, we, we're at an interesting spot where, as a town, we got to be sure to show out. Uh, we've got the International Champions Cup game coming in at Arrowhead. I think it's uh, FC Bayern versus AC Milan or something like that. But I think that it's kind of implied that this is going to be a little bit of a trial run uh, in advance of potentially having the World Cup there at Arrowhead. So I think if we really you know, show out and pack the house for that game, I think that it'll put us in really good standing for a potential World Cup as well. We did get a couple of texts about this. Like I said, you get you can now call into the show, leave a voicemail, you can text in as well, 913-808-2119. That is the line for the podcast. The first person to ever text into the podcast is Mark from New Jersey in the 973. He said, uh, I will be making the trip from New Jersey. Uh, and I also asked on the Facebook post when I said, hey, comment below or, or text the podcast, uh, I did ask where the draft should be. He mentioned PNL, but I'm sure they'll. Even though it's not going to be at that location, I'm sure PNL will still be doing something to get people involved. I mean, they've got the big screen there. It's in Kansas City, and you know that everyone in the city is going to come together. Whether you are at the Union Station, World War One Museum area, or if you're going to be at PNL, they're going to do something to entertain everybody and just have as many attractions possible. Even if the uh, if, if all the ESPN, ABC, and NFL Network hosts are not there, they'll still do something there, I think. also got a text from Sharon from the 602. She says, I'm excited for the draft. Even though it's a while away, I plan on making the trip from Arizona. So you've got a lot of people. Like I said, I got a tweet. Uh, someone said, I don't even know what I'm doing next week. Fair enough. But uh, a lot of people are planning for this. Uh, like I said, a little less than four years away. And people are trying to build their schedules around it now at this point. And it's exciting to see. I mean, I, you know, I think that Kansas City has always been a town that shows well in these sorts of events. So I think that, you know, especially once we get the new airport open, it's going to be exciting times for Kansas City for sure. Other NFL news to get into, uh, a lot of the rule changes that came into play. So here's one uh, that I thought was very interesting. Uh, this comes from Ian Rappaport. Last week he uh, he tweeted this, NFL owners voted to allow the competition committee uh, the power to alter and adjust instant replay process for pass interference inside the last two minutes 
of the half of a game, uh, which is kind of interesting, could end up allowing coaches to challenge throughout the game. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that helps the game in any way. Sure, there have been times inside two minutes where refs don't review a certain thing or a certain play and they miss it, Where whereas coaches and broadcasters and everyone else at home, they can see that it should have been reviewed. Uh, that has happened before, but I like that we have referees reviewing scores and sometimes turnovers throughout a game. Uh, it adds kind of an interesting twist, and, and coaches now have to decide with only two possibly three challenges if they continue to do well with those um, two challenges before. You know, is it worth challenging certain plays? Is it not? I don't know. I remember there was a Royals game last week where it was the first batter of the game in the first inning, obviously, and they're thinking that maybe it was a missed call, but, you know, on the first batter, is it worth challenging a play? I mean, you kind of have to pick and choose your battles at this point. Uh, What do you make of that rule change, Zach? I think that, it's, I mean, it's clearly in response to the egregious no-call that took place at the end of the NFC Championship game, uh, the PI that wasn't called. I think that the fact that they put the onus on the coaches to challenge in these situations, it doesn't require the refs who are, I mean, they're humans, they mess up. Uh, I think that this way it provides a level of ownership to the coaches and, by extension, that organization. You know, if you think about if they had this in place at the end of the NFC Championship game, either Sean Payton is able to challenge that pass interference call, or if he's out of challenges, well, then all of a sudden, you know, the egg is on his face as opposed to on the refs. And I think that as a whole, it's going to be a productive change. I think it's much more, uh, I think it's much more interesting to see it taking place on this particular rule change as opposed to some of the others that were recommended. Yeah, it is kind of interesting, and you look at Andy Reid, he's been one of the better head coaches out there when it comes to challenges. In fact, uh, looking at pro football, ta- or excuse me, pro football reference, uh, this past year in 2018, one of, the, uh, one of the better head coaches when it came to challenges, uh, ranked number one according to pro football reference, uh, had three, or excuse me, six challenges, won three of them the previous year. Uh, it says that he only won two challenges uh, when he challenged six times, but it, it shows his ranking as first. I'm not exactly sure if that's accurate or if that's an error, if they just leave that one there all the time. But Andy Reid's been very good uh, for the most part when it comes to challenging a lot of plays out there. Um, I think uh, in one of his last years with Philadelphia in 2011, he challenged 14 times and came away with 10 overturned calls right there. Uh, That's the best he's ever had. And again, like I said, that was one of his last years with Philadelphia. He's one of the better head coaches out there. And and I don't know if you give credit to him or if he's got a staff that he has practiced this with a lot to figure out when to throw the red flag and when not to. But it does kind of add a wrinkle to to this kind of thing. I think, hey, look, if a bad call happens, as you said, the referees are human. Maybe you just go up to them inside two minutes and say, hey, look, we definitely need to have this reviewed. Because I don't like having the coaches being able to throw the flag inside two minutes. I think... Inside two minutes, it should be the refs and only the refs. And if they miss a call, the referee or excuse me, the coach rather should be allowed to approach them and say, "Hey, look, you missed this call. You guys need to take a look at this." And I think that ultimately, this is it's along those lines. It just involves a red flag now, which I'm sure that coaches will find a way to abuse it in some way, you know, a la icing the kicker. But I think for the most part, it, the fact that they put the responsibility in the coach's hands, I think that it enables it to maintain kind of competitive integrity across the board and it makes 
the coach a little bit more of a competitive advantage in some cases. I mean, I think certainly the case could be made for Andy Reid. Uh, but I think that it just, yeah, like you said, it adds another wrinkle. It's like the way that managers are in baseball, specifically in the NL, where they're as integral a part of the strategy as any of their players. And I think that that, I think that, that makes for an interesting game. Another rule change that came in here, uh, the NFL had made player safety recommendations to teams about, regarding certain drills that they're asking them to no longer use in training camp. Now, as we all know, the past couple of years, there have been so many injuries that have occurred in training camp, and they're trying to reduce that as much as possible. Therefore, they banned some of the drills that are very popular in football, such as the Oklahoma drill. Uh, the bull in the king, uh, bull in the ring, or king of the circle, which is kind of like a sumo wrestling kind of match. It's more fun to watch with offensive linemen and defensive linemen. If you don't know what these drills are, take a look at them on YouTube. I'm not going to go over these in specific. Now, let me just say, as a fan, I don't really care for these. Players probably hate this because these are fun team bonding activities. Uh, but again, like I said, I mean they don't broadcast the Oklahoma drill for us to see. It, it, this doesn't impact me as a fan, other than the fact that hey, maybe it does save one of my favorite players from suffering an injury at this point. But you know, I'll give credit to the NFL because I know they've taken a lot of heat for uh, the head injuries and concussions that have taken place and what players are dealing with after retirement. But they're doing what they can. It's not an easy thing to fix. This is not an easy solution to come down to. At least they're trying to do something. And look, at the end of the day, some of these drills, like I said, the players like them. They're a lot of fun, but you know, it's not a necessity sometimes. And anything you can do to save these players and save teams from going through the trouble and and the drama with, with, with these head injuries, I, I think it's a step into the right direction. I, I agree with you to a point. I think that the Oklahoma drill, while it was always one that was a hit when I was playing football growing up, I, I do understand why they're getting rid of it as a concussion concern. The bull in the ring one, that's the one that I struggle a little bit more just because I don't really see the where where you could get a concussion from that sort of drill. I mean, unless you're way slow on the offensive lineman side uh, against a ridiculously fast defensive lineman, I don't think there's really a lot of room for that much impact uh, in terms of you know, giving yourself a concussion in a drill such as that. So part of me is you know just torn because, again, growing up, playing football and enjoying some of these drills, you don't like to see them go. But I certainly respect the efforts that they're putting forward uh, to start mitigating some of these concussion issues that we've had. Do I mean, I'm not sure how much of an effect these efforts really are going to have in the long run, but you know, got to respect the effort just the same. You know, I was watching uh, the Oklahoma drill on on YouTube earlier this week, and I mean, this was a high school that was practicing that. Because I looked up some of these drills, some of those drills that they mentioned on social media, I had never heard of before. I mean, some of these kids, I mean, these are high schoolers that are practicing, and they said, I don't have an issue with that. But I mean, they are leaning in with their heads as hard as they can. It's like, do you want to get injured? Because and I don't know if that's on the player who's just immature and doing that, or if the coaches don't go over that with these players, but it's like, do you want to get hurt? Do you want to have neck injuries? And I don't know. It just shocks me seeing that sometimes that football players do this. Flip side of that, though, I think that, you know, again, going through some of those drills, I always learned that the times where it hurt the most were the times when you weren't actually going in aggressively. Like, if you're hitting the other guy, you're not hurting nearly as much. You're not getting your bell rung, so to speak. And I think that 
I mean, whether or not that has a place in the game or not anymore, I think that that's certainly up for discussion. Uh, but I think that, honestly, the people who aren't going in quite as hard are the ones at higher risk for injury as opposed to the ones who are leading in. Now, leading with the head, that's still unacceptable. They should know better. Uh, and I think that ultimately does tend to come down to coaching. But, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing to see these drills go, even though I certainly enjoyed them growing up. I remember I had Bobby Bell years ago when this was a, a pretty big issue, and I asked him about this as a former linebacker, a former hard hitter himself. He said, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with hitting hard, but you got to hit hard with your arms and your chest because you can do a lot of damage you know, in terms of being a good defender and stopping plays. By doing so that way, you don't have to hit with your head, but uh, you know, a lot of we, we, we've seen so many crazy rules with this with um, a defenseless receiver and how you know defenders have to be able to adjust to that it has been pretty hard on defenses but uh, you know with this kind of thing I, I and I hate to make this kind of comment because it's just very cliche but with this kind of thing only time will tell we just kind of have to wait and see if this does make any big of a difference we'll see if this reduces the number of injuries especially concussions in training camp because that is when you see a lot of injuries take place uh, during the football se- before the football season, essentially. Now, there was another rule out there that was being considered for 2019. Instead, it's been tabled for next year, and this is the Chiefs' uh, rule pro- proposal for overtime in which both teams can maintain possession. And look, I've seen a lot of people be in favor of this rule, and here's my thing, man. The Chiefs just simply wore terrible in overtime. Three third and tens, and they allowed the Patriots to convert on all of them. And let's not forget, I mean, there were so many factors as to why the Chiefs lost this football game. A lot of people want to blame the coin toss or the rule for overtime. I mean, listen, uh, you were shut out in the first half. You had Travis Kelsey drop, I believe, two uh, third down uh, catches that should have been first downs. Tyreek Hill had that uh, negative, uh, that uh, punt return for negative yardage. At this point, uh, I mean, and obviously don't forget about the D Ford offside call right there uh, where the interception happened and the game was pretty much over and the Chiefs were on their way to the Super Bowl. But uh, I mean, there were so many reasons as to why you lost this football game. It was not because of the rule. Look at the Saints. And I know we talked about the pass interference call there and everything, but let's not forget the Saints did win the coin toss. They didn't win that football game. Drew Brees threw an interception and it was the Rams that went on to the to the Super Bowl and not the Saints. Uh, so look, and here's my thing with this. I've said this before, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Zach. But they could, they could change the rule and say, "Hey, both teams need possession." But let's just say Tom Brady throws a pick six in overtime on the second play of the game. Well, Patriots fans are going to complain and say, "Well, we never got a fair shot at." And I'm just using Patriots fans as an example because this is where this idea came from was from that AFC championship game, but they're going to say that we never got a fair shot on a complete drive. I mean, people are just going to find something to complain about. Uh, Generally in a 15 minute quarter, a 15 minute period, you have three possessions, assuming they're all long drives and they all result in a score of some sort. Uh, But if that's the case for an overtime period, somebody's going to have two drives and one team is going to have one drive and there are going to be complaints from that. I I don't know what the solution is to make everyone happy. I know a lot of people are saying college football rules, but I'm not a fan of just putting teams in scoring position right away. 
I, I don't know what your response is. I know I, I threw a lot, a lot at you, and I've gone over these so many times, but obviously this is your first time on the podcast. What is your response to this suggested rule for overtime, and, and what can the NFL do about this to make everyone happy? So the suggested rule itself, I think, is absolutely stupid. I don't think that there's any real merit to that. I mean, yes, we the, the coin toss didn't do the Chiefs any favors, but like you said, we lost that game so many other ways. Like, yeah, we lost the coin toss, fine. That means the defense just needs to step up, and they didn't. And so I don't think going in and changing the rules just to benefit the fact that you know, we weren't able to stop anybody, I think that that's ridiculous. Honestly, I think that the way we've got the OT rules designed today – works pretty well I do think it's a vast improvement over what we had you know for for a long time uh, before they made this switch where you were essentially you know whoever won the coin toss was just going to get close enough to kick a field goal and then that was that I didn't really like the playing for a field goal I think that the way they've got it now where you can score a touchdown to end the game uh, but a field goal you know wouldn't quite do the job I think that that again it forces the defenses to step up uh, and you can't just, you know, get a couple of yards off of, I mean, if you think about it, you know, if it, say you're starting at the 20 yard line there, I mean, really all you, all you really have to do is get, you know, 40 some odd yards and then hope that your kicker can put it through the uprights as for the old rules. And so I think that the way we've got it really is fine. I don't think that this rule proposal really has that much merit. I mean, if they do make a change to where each team has to have one full drive, all right, so you've just extended overtime to three periods, or or three drives at least. So I don't know that it really is going to make that much of a difference, but I'm certainly glad to see that it was tabled because I I think that it ultimately smells more like sour grapes to me in terms of, yep, we lost the OT and Mahomes didn't get a chance to you know have the ball in overtime, which, don't get me wrong, I was plenty disappointed just like every other Chiefs fan to see but I don't think the blame is on the rule. The blame for that loss is on the defense for sure. You know, the Falcon, there are a lot of Falcons fans that are blaming their Super Bowl loss to the Patriots because they lost the coin toss. They don't want to acknowledge that there no, was a 25-point lead. Exactly right. It was 28-3, to and your defense choked, and your offense wasn't able to keep the ball away. Like, I'm sorry, no OT rules are going to make up for that failure. It's just a fact. I, I I just I I mean look people are gonna find you're never gonna make everybody happy you, in this day and age someone has to complain about something the Chiefs won the Super Bowl there's going to be one Chiefs fan out there that will complain I guarantee you there was one Patriots fan out there that complained about how boring of a Super Bowl win that was who cares I mean you just got your sixth Super Bowl but you know somebody out there is doing that my point is I think. Still, there are ways, and I disagree with you about the current overtime rule. I, I'm just not a fan of how a field goal doesn't end it, but a touchdown does. Look, to, in my opinion, a score is a score. I was a fan of sudden death. I get a lot of people were not. Um, in terms of this suggested rule, a lot of people are speculating. Remember when um, when the current overtime rule, it was considered for just the playoffs? Do you remember that, Zach? Yeah, yeah. I think that was in 20... I can't remember what it was. I think it was 2011. And I remember when the Broncos and the Steelers went to overtime, everyone said, okay, we're going to see the new overtime rules pretty much come into play, except not really because Tebow and the Broncos, they got that in just one play in overtime. So we never really got to see that whole field goal extending overtime come into play. So that never really happened in the playoffs. But they're 
predicting that the NFL might do that for a playoff game next season. Not this season in 2019 through 2020, but for the 2020-2021 season. And if they do, I mean, I'm certainly willing to, you know, stay open-minded about it. I just don't, I guess when it comes to the changing of a rule, I would rather see a larger, I mean, I guess a bigger reason for making the change than, yes, we lost an AFC championship game and we're going to blame the overtime rules instead of, you know, our defensive coordinator slash defense who weren't able to stop the Patriots. Yeah, and I think, I think, (laughs) I think Bob Sutton being fired, I mean, that's a big reason for that, by the way, let me just ask you this: if if the if D Ford was not offside and that interception counted, and if the Chiefs go on to win the Super Bowl, is Bob Sutton still your defensive coordinator? I just want to know your thought on that. I mean, yeah, just simply for the fact that you don't fire people off of a Super Bowl winning staff if you can avoid it. I mean, you're going to have turnover, but that's because people get signed on for other jobs. I mean, I think if we won that Super Bowl, you see Eric Bieniemy as a head coach somewhere. That's just. You know, that makes logical sense to me for sure. Whether Sutton retires and goes out on top, that also wouldn't shock me. But, I mean, at this point, yeah, I think that we wouldn't have pushed Sutton out the door for sure if we won a Super Bowl. You know, you just don't push people out the door after winning a title. Oh, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's just it's just weird to think that the Chiefs came close to winning a Super Bowl with a 31st-ranked defense. But, uh, I mean, we saw this with Dick Vermeil. Great offense, but... Not a very good defense. In fact, a, a lot of bad defenses, but obviously he didn't have the type of offense that the Chiefs have now. So it almost happened, but unfortunately not the case. Uh, let us know your thoughts on anything we've discussed so far. Like I said, Zach and I are both on Twitter. Because we have crazy names and, and very hard to spell names, I'm just going to put all the social media on uh, the description for the podcast. Like I said, we're on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and uh, make sure you're subscribed to that and sharing the links. Uh, I'll put our social media information on there from here on out because someone mentioned to me, uh, hey, hey, you got to spell your name for the Facebook page. I, I assumed my name was somewhere on the podcast, on on Apple Podcasts or what, but I, I guess not. So uh, I'll make sure I do that from here on out for the Facebook and Twitter pages uh, and also for the phone number. Like I said, you can leave a voicemail or you can text in 913-808-2119. A couple of Chiefs news to get into here. Zach, did you uh, get a chance to see on Wednesday evening uh, this Chiefs-produced show called The Franchise? No, it's definitely on my to-do list. I saw Mahomes tweeting about it, so I'm going to make some time to watch it, but I haven't had a chance yet. So I believe it is on Fox Sports. I don't know if it's local Fox Sports. I I just saw the Chiefs tweet about this. I don't know if it's local Fox Sports uh, as an FSKC or if it's on the national Fox Sports syndicate. Do you know the answer to that? I do not. I can look it up real quick, okay. but I do not have the answer off the top of my head. Now, it, they also mentioned on uh, on Twitter that it is also available on YouTube and uh, on Facebook as well. So if you don't have Fox Sports or if you didn't get a chance to DVR it, it is available online. So you're able to catch it there as well. This is kind of interesting. I was actually looking up some uh, Hard Knocks clips because I, I pulled some audio when uh, it was announced that Gunther Cunningham had passed away, and because I was in the, in the middle of doing that, I, I basically got sucked in and started watching Hard Knocks. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I know that was a long time ago, and I, and I actually want to take some time this summer to maybe go back and watch those six episodes. Uh, I'm curious to see how this is. It's supposed to be an inside look at Kansas City's offseason but it doesn't it says that it's going to take place throughout 2019 and 
they don't have a conclusion date for this. In other words, they, they never announce how many episodes this is going to be. So I'm kind of curious as to what the end game is for this kind of a deal. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's great for fans to see this kind of thing. Uh, I know the Chiefs do a great job with the with their production team and what they put out there on their website and on their social media. Now you're going to see this on TV. I think it's great for fans. If you want to maybe see the ins and outs a little bit more, you're not going to get. I mean, you're not going to get the deep secrets from these teams. It's just not allowed. Uh, some things are going to be restricted, but you kind of get a behind the scenes look as to what's going on at that practice facility that maybe not even the media gets to see. And I think that especially the. You know, I mean, with the success of Hard Knocks, I think that it'd be really interesting to see the, I guess, really just the ins and outs beyond just training camp. I know that so many teams are, you know, incredibly, I guess, leery of putting in or, you know, allowing camera access into their locker room during the season. But I think that, you know, for the fans, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's certainly an interesting opportunity. I mean, I would definitely be watching for sure uh, just because, you know, it gives you a level of exposure that you otherwise won't be able to get unless you happen to, you know, wander your way into NFL locker rooms and get away with that, which I sincerely doubt. So I think that it's going to be really, uh, you know, really interesting to see what all they're willing to show on that and how deep into the season they're really going to, you know, continue it. Yeah, it is very Speaking interesting. Speaking of and hard think... knocks, though, do we know who's on that yet for this uh, for this next season? I think the Raiders are potential candidates. I don't, I, I mean, I know they're down to a couple of teams right now, but I don't know if they have announced who it's going to be just yet. But I, I will say this, because obviously the Chiefs are coming off a remarkable season, AFC Championship appearance, so close to going to a Super Bowl, and you you had this crazy year offensively, third highest scoring offense in NFL history, and obviously Patrick Mahomes did so many things that we have never seen from a quarterback before in NFL history, and because he's so young, uh, I, I mean, he just attracted so much attention here in Kansas City. Obviously, winning the league's MVP award, the first Chief to ever do that. I think the Chiefs are doing as much as they can to try to promote this football team, and, and not that it's a very difficult thing to do, but when you've got Mahomes, I think more people would be inclined to watch this program, the franchise, than if Alex Smith was still the quarterback, or if you're... Pro Bowl quarterback was just a normal Pro Bowl quarterback. You know what I mean? I think because of Mahomes and everything that he's done, because let's face it, I mean, in fact, the, the tornadoes that took place this week, his girlfriend posted a picture of him studying while the tornadoes were taking place, and everybody went crazy about it. Uh, him go, sitting front row at a Lakers game and talking to LeBron James on Twitter. Uh, the media wrote about that, and fans made a big deal about that. They shared that on social media. Anything that involves Patrick Mahomes if the Chiefs can use that to build an audience and get viewers from that, and obviously you can sell sponsorships from that, they're going to try to do. And I think Patrick Mahomes, probably the best thing to ever happen to this franchise when it comes to a marketing standpoint at this point. I think certainly for the franchise. I mean, think about when have we ever had a superstar in Kansas City? I mean, I really think that, you know, it's certainly in my lifetime, the closest we had on that front is Tony Gonzalez, and that's nowhere near Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's been a long time since arguably the most marketable player in the league. Uh, you know, we've never had that in Kansas City, and we do now. And I think we're gonna, you know, he's gonna be able to maintain that for the foreseeable future. Uh, and so I think that you'll see the Chiefs absolutely look to maximize that to the extent that they're able to. And I think that as long as, I mean, as long as you don't hit a point of oversaturation, I think that 
you know, it's absolutely going to be great for both the city and the franchise. Because, like I said, you know, it's not just the franchise that hasn't had that level of superstar. Really, the city has never had that, at least that I can come up with. Yeah, you mentioned Tony Gonzalez. It's very interesting. In, in terms of just a superstar quarterback, obviously Joe Montana, when he came to Kansas City, that was big. But the, the, the thing about that is there was no social media at the time. And because of the era we're in now, I mean, you see Patrick on his Instagram and on his Twitter, he's putting so many of his sponsorships on his Instagram story or on his on his Twitter, whereas you never had that before. And, and, and that's one way to get things out there, or, or if something's a big deal, that's a great place to go to on social media. I'd be really curious to know how social media would have responded to Joe Montana coming to Kansas City, because that was a huge deal in the early 90s, but obviously no social media at the time, and now you look at this and you kind of think about that and see, you know, what would have been bigger? Uh, all this social media craze we have with Mahomes, or uh Montana coming to Kansas City at the time uh kind of hard to say obviously uh because it's a different era different time but uh kind of makes you think about that so definitely social media kind of helps with all of this as well now obviously obviously some good news there but unfortunately we've got some negative news to get into here uh so I want to get into the Tyron Matthews situation and let me just say this I know a lot of us thought that we kind of knew what was going on with the Tyree kill incident but because that story had so many twists and turns I think we've just got to be careful with our judgment on the situation. We can still talk about this and have an opinion, but obviously nothing too concrete on this because there are so many things we don't know right now. But uh, So a family member of Tyron Matthews, let me just set the picture up here. A family member, and I'm going to screw up his name here. I believe it's Jervon Keneal Sears. Do you know the pronunciation, Zach? I'm going to go with Jervon. I'm not going to go. I have no idea if that's Keenel, Canel. In any okay. event, Sears, that one I've got. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got Sears. You've got that much. He's 21 years old. He is Tyron Matthews' younger cousin. He is under federal indictment for attempting to extort more than $1 million from Matthew to prevent Sears from publicly releasing allegations of sexual misconduct against Tyron Matthew. And according to court documents, the case alleges that Sears contacted Matthew by phone and text demanding one and a half to five million dollars for his silence. Interesting. Uh, Sears apparently made threats against Matthew's family. Then he was released on a $25,000 bond after his arrest, but it was revoked Wednesday um, after a hearing in which it was revealed that he had removed the ankle monitor that he was required to wear while free on bond. Uh, so, I mean, that's another separate issue there, but according to Sears, his brother and his mother, Matthew, did make threats against all of them in text messages in which screenshots were shown. Now, there's no proof that it's him necessarily. I think they're trying to sort through all of that as well. Um, I mean, you just got to look at the phone number and the contact, and maybe that'll put the proof out there. But why did he make those threats if that is really from him? Uh, I think that is definitely going to uh, be an interesting to see. That comes from theadvocate.com. That's the New Orleans-based media outlet there. Uh, and again, we don't know a lot right now. Tyron Matthews' agent said that, that this is a private family matter, and his attorney said, quote, once Mr. Matthew decided to stop assisting these individuals financially, they turned to harassment, slander, extortion to gain financially. Uh, Sears is expected to appear in court again on June the 21st, so it'll be some time before we really see more information in, in all of this. Uh, look, it's just unfortunate, man. The Chiefs have had so much bad news off the field 
uh, since the Kareem Hunt incident. And then, you know, D'Anthony Thomas, he got arrested uh, shortly before free agency. I mean, he wasn't released necessarily because his contract was up. Then you had the Tyreek Hill investigation, which I'll get to in just a moment. Roger Goodell did have something to say about that. And then with Frank Clark coming in, not that something happened, but because of the timing of that, of the trade, I mean, that was just really bad timing for the Chiefs uh, from a PR standpoint. Uh, the Chiefs just are having a lot of bad luck this offseason with these um, with these off-the-field issues. And again, like I said, with the Tyron Matthew deal, obviously not a good luck for either side. Uh, we're still kind of waiting on the information, but the Chiefs just cannot catch a break, man. They just cannot catch a break with this kind of thing. And I know with Clark, you could say this about any owner in any team. Clark on absolutely hates negative PR. And like I said, nothing bad necessarily happened with, with Matthew. The the threats he sent, never a good look on anybody. But still, we're, we're, we're learning a lot right now. Yeah, I'm. Uh, when it comes to this, I'm just a little, I guess, hesitant to really you know, make much of a judgment beyond the fact that it's just, it's sad to watch this sort of a situation unfold regardless of Matthew's role in it as far as, you know, threats that he may or may not have sent. Anytime that you've got this sort of a family dynamic going, it's just sad to see because, frankly, this is the sort of thing that happens a lot across not just the NFL but a lot of professional sports where once you have somebody in the family that makes it, all of a sudden everybody else's hands are out uh, in that's a big part of the reason that a lot of these athletes do go broke within a few years of retirement. I know in the NFL, it's a very high number. I think somewhere between 70 and 80%, though I don't have the latest numbers, so don't quote me on that. But in any event, you know the fact that regardless of the extortion or otherwise, like this is a family that you know now has just got absolutely fractured bonds, and that's just sad to see no matter how you slice it. I did mention I wanted to get into the Tyreek Hill investigation. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell did comment on that. He said that in regards to Tyreek Hill, there is a court proceeding and, quote, we will not interfere with that. The priority here is the young child, unquote. Uh, but reports did say that Goodell will speak to Tyreek Hill as soon as possible. Now, again, you can still speak to someone and not interfere with the investigation. Uh, and I think, look, Roger Goodell does need to speak to Tyreek Hill. But, look, good on the NFL for not getting involved in the investigation, because let's be honest, the, 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 they just utterly failed with the whole Kareem Hunt incident. They did, they never attempted to reach out to the woman. I don't even know how you can call it an investigation if you never bothered to try to contact the woman or, or to reach out to her. Uh, there are former law enforcement officials who are part of the NFL's investigative team, and they have failed with this uh, terribly. And the same thing with uh, Ray Rice as well. Uh, TMZ was ahead of the NFL in both of those incidents. Uh, Look, let the experts figure this out. Um, I will say, I remember when the audio came out. I mean, within that week and a half, so much information came out with the um, Johnson County... um, uh, uh, Gosh, it it escapes my mind right now. Um, The district attorney's office. Yeah, the, the, the DA... Uh, when he had his press conference, the audio coming out right before the draft and McCole Hardman being drafted and people wondered, does that mean anything for Tyreek Hill's future? And then the um, attorney's letter to the NFL in which the text message between uh, Tyreek and his fiance, we have not heard anything since that attorney's letter right now. I believe the child is still uh, away from the parents and 
you know, this this story has just kind of froze for a while. We haven't seen any progress with this. I thought that maybe we'd see the end of it after the attorney's letter. I, I think uh, Tyree Kill's uh, fiance's response would have been important to that. Uh, there, there's still a lot we don't know right now. We still have no idea who is guilty, who isn't, uh, who's responsible. Someone should be responsible for all of this. We, we don't even know if the child's arm was broken because of an accident. No one knows anything right now. But what we do know is that this is taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to take because we started getting so many uh, updates on this, like rapid fire. And now the story has kind of come to a uh, complete halt. Uh, what do you make of this whole situation with Tyreek Hill? And when do you think we're going to see the end of this? I would like to think that we'll see the end of it before training camp. And quite frankly, I think that if they don't come out with any conclusive evidence as far as, you know, if the district attorney is not able to actually pursue any action against either party here, you know, which means essentially he's either, you know, he's not clearing Tyreek's name, nor is he going after him. Uh, I think if that's the case, you'll see Goodell slap him down with somewhere between a six and eight game suspension is just my guess, uh, just because Goodell has, you know, full power in this case, uh, regardless of whether or not Tyreek you know, is responsible for this. And at this point, I think it's fair to say that we don't know. Uh, and so I'd like to see it you know, resolved sooner than later. But until we know a little bit more, it's hard to say exactly you know how it's going to turn out. The one thing that I will say is that I'm glad that the NFL is choosing not to investigate in this yeah. particular case and leaving it to the professionals. Because as far as I'm concerned, I think that there's a massive part of this with the NFL when it comes to their investigations that I guess the way I'll put it is it's really easy not to find things that you don't want to find, if that makes sense. No, uh, I, I know what you that, mean. You know, uncovering stuff that's going to you know give the league a black eye. I think that, you know, there's a natural tendency to want to sweep that under the rug, uh, regardless of whether or not someone else is going to eventually uncover it anyway. And I think that, you know, it certainly could be argued that when somebody else uncovers it, it makes it all the worse. But that's a separate discussion entirely. I'm just glad to see that the NFL is going to let the investigation take its course. And I just hope, you know, that we get some level of closure regardless of, you know, ultimately, you know, he did hit the nail on the head. And I don't agree with Goodell on a lot of things, but I do agree with the thing that he said where the priority is the kid in this case. Uh, I think that you know this is one of those moments where football should absolutely just be secondary. Uh, I, I didn't mention this, but I remember KCTV five, and they have had a lot of information on on this investigation, on this on the situation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I remember they had a story mentioning that there there were security cameras inside the home, and that there are authorities, I guess, that are investigating those cameras. Do you remember that report from Channel Five? I did see something about that and some something about Tyreek, you know, seeing the security feeds or something like that and then taking action. I don't exactly know what he was doing uh, as a result, but I remember something about him being, you know, living outside of the home for a while and then yeah. uh, reacting to something that he saw on the security cameras. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't know that there's, you know, unless law enforcement's you know able to get access to those records and then you know, they'll make public what they see fit. Uh, I think that until we know a little bit more on that, I certainly don't want to you know, predict as to what they might do or, or what might or might not exist on that security footage. I want to say that was the last, that, that was the latest story that we had heard regarding that whole, that whole deal. Um, 
that and the text message, the, the attorney's letter with the text message, um, that all kind of came out at the same time. So uh, it, it's been a it's been a while since we've last seen an update on that. Uh, like I said, I mean, hopefully they get something by training camp. Uh, obviously, he was close to cashing in on a big deal, and now the Chiefs are just kind of waiting for things to to play out at this point. Uh, a lot of people have criticized the Chiefs for not taking action and releasing him. I think given that the Browns are getting really positive PR in this whole Kareem Hunt situation, yet the Chiefs are still, for whatever reason, bad guys for whatever happened with Kareem Hunt before, yet the Browns are being praised for giving him a second chance. I, I don't really understand that. I really would like an explanation from some of the national media outlets that are going about it that way, but I think because of how that all panned out, I think maybe they have some regrets with releasing Kareem Hunt and maybe wanting to let this play out a little bit and I hate to say this but maybe let it die down and eventually people will I guess learn to forgive and move on I mean let's be honest here we were angry at Tyreek Hill once before and once we saw his action on the field a lot of people felt good about it so uh we'll see how that all pans out did you have anything you wanted to add on to that Zach I mean I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head in that if we hadn't had the Kareem Hunt situation unfolding the way that it did which which is to say you know the Browns picking him up and being able to you know, take advantage of his considerable talents on the field. Um, I think if that hadn't taken place the way that it did, maybe the Chiefs would have been quicker to release Tyreek Hill. But because of the way that that all went, I think that that's why they're you know just taking a wait and see sort of approach. And I think that you know to your point about the way that it's been covered, I think that there's a big. I mean, one of the things that you see in the media all the time is you know you've got the story arcs of you know you got team the Browns where they're you know, on the come up, so to speak, you know, they're as sorry of a franchise as has existed in the NFL uh, for the longest <laughs> time. And now they've finally got something exciting and, you know, it's kind of the rebirth of the Browns, you know, they're having that, you know, real growth story. And so the, the Kareem Hunt situation is not going to distract from that because they look at that as sort of a redemption story from where he's sitting as well. And they just kind of mold all that together. Whereas the chiefs, you know, we're kind of riding high, you know, we've, been you know not necessarily the most i mean certainly not the winningest franchise but uh we've always been fairly consistent you know in being in the playoffs certainly over the last few years but now we're you know riding as high as we really ever have due to patrick mahomes and then all of a sudden they're able to use that as a way to kind of knock us down a peg which i think that that's you know yet another narrative that people tend to pursue um so i think that that's part of it but i think that it's been we're long since past as NFL fans really taking a meaningful stand on the behavior of a lot of players off the field. I think that it's kind of disingenuous to think that we really at on an NFL wide scale. I mean, certainly as fans, we know that you know, these things are wrong, but the league as a whole, like you can't tell me that if we release Tyreek, that no one else would pick him up. Because no, no that's way. false. Like someone would pick him up for certain because of his talents on the field. We can't pretend that the NFL has that sort of moral compass because they don't. Uh, and so, you know, I guess I'm kind of torn on this because a I don't want to you know rush to judgments on the because there have been so many moving parts with this case that we don't really know who's at fault and who's not. I think that you know as a general rule where there's smoke, there's fire, but. In this case, it's just taking enough twists and turns that I'm going to go ahead and take a wait-and-see approach myself. Uh, but it is just kind of a shame that 
we I feel like are hanging on to Tyreek simply because we don't want others to you know, jump in and sign him just because of this sort of situation. You know, it's interesting. I remember during the Frank Clark press conference, I, I can't remember if it was Tysha or somebody. It doesn't matter who it was, but uh, the questions did come. I mean, you knew that people that, that they were going to ask it, even though you knew how the Chiefs were going to respond. I think one of the questions was, why were you so quick to make a move on Kareem Hunt, but not Tyreek Hill? And Brett Veach is just declining, the, just pushing away from these questions. I think we know why, because as you said, someone else is going to pick him up and eventually... Look, and again, I hate to say it, but I'll say it again. It will at some point die down, and he's going to, at one point, hold up the the peace sign when he's on his way to the end zone after burning the entire defense. So you know that is going to happen at some point, uh, whether he's guilty or not. uh, You just know he will play another snap again in this league. Uh, I mean, we've seen seen a lot of players do a lot of bad things before, and they've been able to play uh even after that absolutely hey, did you ever- but you and i can say that brett veach certainly can't you know, yeah i think that we all can acknowledge the reality for what it is the difference is we get to say it did you um did you get a chance to hear what charlie casterly had to say about patrick mahomes in his critical review i did uh and i certainly don't disagree with some of the things that he's saying i'm not sure i totally buy the fact that the comment that he made specifically about working his way through the reads, I think that Mahomes certainly has shown that he does that along with a level of improvisation. So it's not nearly as rigid as like, all right, yep, first read's gone. All right, second, nope. All right, we'll throw to the check down. It's not you know as is an obviously linear process as it is with a lot of other quarterbacks, just because of the way that Mahomes can you know still open up a throw. Uh, even if you know he's rolling to the right and there's somebody coming open on the far left side of the field, I think that you know it's certainly. There, I don't want to say that there's no grounds for criticism because there absolutely is. Uh, I think that Mahomes certainly has a lot of room to improve. Specifically, if you look at the way that, and I think Casterly said as much, the fact that New England had a game plan where they were able to you know shut him down essentially for the first half of both games that we played against the Patriots. I think that there's certainly room for him to improve, and that's yeah. something that you know. Don't get me wrong. I recognize, you know, as Chiefs fans, you kind of want to jump up and get defensive of your guy because, of course, you know, Mahomes is awesome and we all agree on that. But rather than getting defensive about this, frankly, I think we should be getting excited because if you look at what he did this past season and he still has room to improve, that should be the most exciting thing ever. Well, here's the thing. When I mention losing in overtime to in the AFC Championship game, and I, I mentioned this so many times, I said, look, the offense was shut out in the first half. I, I mean, so many people were quick to defend Mahomes and said, well, he's the reason why we're, why we're even here. And I'm like, look, you can still love your quarterback, but that doesn't mean he is free of criticism here. Let me just say this. And, and for those who didn't hear, Charlie Castley had a lot of criticism for Patrick Mahomes talking about his footwork uh, and, and talking about discipline through all of his routes and and following through with second and third reads, as you mentioned, Zach, and he and as you mentioned, he talked about how New England did have a game plan to beat him twice. But and Chiefs fans were pretty upset by this. Let me just say this: Chiefs fans may not like hearing this, but every single player on all 32 NFL teams they have room to improve. Uh, whether you're Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey when they had their best uh, careers uh, receiving seasons, statistically speaking. 
they still both have room to improve on this football team. I mentioned Tyreek Hill had that uh, punt return for a negative yardage, yardage. Travis Kelsey had a couple of drops, and they played a hand in the team's AFC Championship uh, loss to the to the Patri- or, uh, yeah to the Patriots. Uh, let me just say this because as fans, you know, you look at a, a team as good as the Chiefs, and you're thinking, well, there's not a lot to really improve on. Coaches are going to disagree with you real quickly. Coaches are very critical when players expect it the least. And here's, I, I remember Charlie Weiss. I know he didn't have a good run at KU, but I remember when Charlie Weiss was the head coach at Kansas. Uh, he chuckled once during film review, uh, and he said that after a win, players feel great because they just won, but when he shows them what they didn't do a good job of and how they need to get better, I mean, he, he laughs at their reactions because they were not expecting for the coaches to do that. But listen, if you just, if you won a game, let's say 31 to 17, well, you gave up 17 points. You gave up some yards. And look, coaches know you cannot have a perfect game, you know, for the entire season, but you can at least attempt to be perfect. You have to at least go over the good and the bad with your, with your teams and all of sports. Uh, I think Bill Self is a great example of sticking with KU here. Even when the, when the Jayhawks win a game, even if it's a blowout, sometimes, oddly enough, Bill Self comes out and publicly criticizes his team and says, well, in the first half, we did this really well, but not so much in the second half. He does that sometimes, if you listen to his post-game press conferences. Uh, if you think Andy Reid just assumes Patrick Mahomes is set for 2019, you're absolutely wrong. Because if that, that was the case, why is he even practicing right now? Why even play in the preseason? To show up for week one if that's the case. But it's not. That's not the reality. The reality is, even if you're coming off a championship winning type of season, uh, like the Patriots, every player on every team has something that they need to work on. I and mean, you look at the Patriots, Zach, they did not have a good Super Bowl. In fact, they looked really terrible in that game. Uh, so you know that they're going to look back at that and try to improve on some of the weaknesses they had in that Super Bowl win. Yes, you can still enjoy that Super Bowl win, not saying you can't, but when it comes to getting ready for the next season, you've got to look at your weaknesses from the previous season and what your weaknesses are right now, given some of the offseason additions, and try to work on that. Now, I will say this, when you look at Patrick Mahomes and comparing him to Josh Rosen, Blake Bortles, or Case Keenum, okay, look, he doesn't have as much to improve on like those guys, but everybody has room for improvement no matter how good or how bad you are. I absolutely agree. Uh, and I think that, you know, again, it comes down to the fact that we should be excited by the fact that he's taking some of this criticism and has room to improve because, I mean, we've seen how good he is already. If that's not his ceiling, then we should be excited to see what that's going to look like because as is... I mean, last year was, if my memory serves, I think it was like, you know, certainly a top 10 yardage all-time season for passing in the NFL. And so I think that there's certainly room to uh, improve. I mean, there's, you know, like you said, there's always room to improve on these sorts of things. And I think that Chiefs fans, rather than being defensive, should be excited by the fact that, you know, one of the best young quarterbacks in the game still hasn't reached his ceiling yet, and we get you know we get the opportunity to watch him develop and grow and become the best quarterback that he can be, which very well could be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And I'm always hesitant to say that sort of thing, but in this case, he's something else. So I think that you know we should be excited, not defensive. Mike Clay of ESPN had a very interesting article about Patrick Mahomes talking about him possibly regressing in 2019. Let me just say this. 
if he doesn't put up 50 touchdowns or if he doesn't have 5,000 yards or neither of those happen in 2019, doesn't necessarily mean he's regressing. Maybe the running game uh, becomes a, a bigger part of the Chiefs offense in 2019. We don't know yet. Uh, and, and keep in mind, it's pretty damn hard to put up 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. Now, given that Mahomes did it at such a young age, I think he'll be able to do it again at some point in his career, whether it's this season or another year. Uh, but just because he doesn't, if he doesn't hit those numbers, doesn't mean that, that a player is regressing. Uh, like I said, Mike Clay of ESPN, he had some stats talking about uh, some indication as to why regression could occur for Mahomes. Here's some of the numbers, Zach. He said Mahomes averaged 13.3 yards per completion. Each of the previous 15 quarterbacks who reached 13.2 yards per completion saw a dip in the following season with an average drop of 1.5 yards per completion. Then he mentioned Mahomes averaged 8.8 yards per pass attempt. Each of the previous 15 quarterbacks who reached 8.37 yards per attempt saw a dip in the following season with an average of 1.2 yards per attempt dropping there and then another stat Mahomes threw a touchdown on 8.6% of his pass attempts and mentioned that the previous 15 QBs and I don't know who those who these 15 QBs are uh they were 7% or better then they saw a dip the following season with an average drop of 2.4% okay look uh these are pretty I mean we're talking beyond pro football focus premium statistics stats right here uh, I don't know exactly where you find this inf- kind of information. I mean, this is some pretty damn good research by Mike Clay. But I think, you know, look, I think he's looking maybe a little too much to look for a, re- a possible regression in Mahomes. Again, maybe Mahomes takes a, a step back statistically, but that doesn't mean the offense cannot be as good as it was last year. Maybe not necessarily top three when it comes to scoring output in NFL history, but they could still be top five, top 10. They, they still have so many of their players. I know Tyreek Hill's kind of in question right now, but you still have Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins. I know a lot of people are talking about him and having a leadership role. McCole Hardman looks like he's going to have a pretty big hand on this offense. I think Demarcus Robinson is a guy who's going to make some strides as well this year uh, with Chris Conley gone and maybe Tyreek Hill being absent for a little bit. And I think the offensive line is going to get better as well. And plus, with running backs, I mean, Mahomes, he'll succeed with any running back because that's the way an Andy Reid offense operates. Uh, and again, with Mahomes, with age, you, you do make progress and you do get better. Uh, maybe he does take a step back statistically, but I think as a whole, as a unit, offensively speaking, this offense, I think, is still going to be similar as it was last year for, for 2019. I totally agree, though I did... I mean, you know me, Fars. I'm one to be a stats nerd, uh, and I did go hunting for this information, and I was successful in finding some of it. Uh, Pro Football Reference, we'll give a shout-out to them real quick. Uh, but if you look at some of the quarterbacks who did it, first off, half of them are Drew Brees uh, because he's done it, I mean, over, let's see, from, I guess, since 2008, he's got uh, seven seasons where he's had almost, I mean, He's got five where he's got over 5,000 passing yards and then two where he was really close to it. Now, that has tapered off lately, but the thing that struck me about some of these seasons is that, you know, from a yardage perspective, he did taper off, but guess what? His yards per attempt went up. You know, the the best passing season statistically from a yardage perspective is Peyton Manning with the Broncos back in 2013, 
and he had one of the biggest drop-offs. It was like 750 yards less the following year, but that's because you had a guy named C.J. Anderson having an all-pro season. So I think that, you know, and we could dive way deeper into some of these stats. I don't really want to bore the listeners by doing it, but I definitely spent some time today doing that. I think that you can cherry-pick some of these stats and make a case for him to regress, but one thing remains, you know, of the top 20 most successful passing seasons from a yardage standpoint, uh, there's only three of them that were done by a player under 25, and the other two were Matt Stafford in 2011 and 2012. Uh, now, I hope for Mahomes' sake that that's not the case, uh, simply because, you know, like it or not, Matt Stafford uh, certainly hasn't proven to be the most efficient quarterback uh, out there. But the other thing that I want to highlight is the fact that of the seasons of this caliber, there's only been uh, one season... So of the top 20 passing seasons by yardage, uh, there's only one player who did it in fewer attempts than Mahomes, and that was Matt Ryan back in 2016. He didn't quite hit the 5,000-yard mark, but I think that we have plenty of reason to maintain confidence uh, in Mahomes, and I think that you know if he regresses, quote-unquote, statistically, like that's fine, uh, simply because, yeah. like it or not, he had, a, that's hard to he had an amazing season, and you know, what the quote-unquote regression might look like, that doesn't mean he's going to become, you know, Blake Bortles overnight. I mean, he won't. I'd be shocked if that was the case. Um, and, I mean, if that's the case, I would be willing to bet that, you know, there's a pretty good chance he gets hurt or something like that to produce that sort of a season. And so, you know, I, I recognize everybody's, you know, looking for chinks in the armor, so to speak, with Mahomes. And they're they're certainly there. But I think in this case, you know, there's a reason he went for, you know, some very specific stats, you know, like yards per completion, not yards per attempt. Those are different things. Um, and one certainly looks better than the other. So he chose the one that looked less good. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, he didn't do his due diligence because he certainly did, but he also, you know, chose the stats that fit neatly with his narrative on this particular case. Yeah. And look, one of the things that we've talked about a lot this off season with Mahomes on this podcast, and I know so many people have on social media, I mean, I think there is a concern because of the way we react to things on social media that if he doesn't have 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, I mean, is this now like, I mean, oh, he's no longer the MVP anymore. Well, look, um, you've got to consider, you know, why did he have 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards? I think part of it had to do with Kareem Hunt's absence, his release uh, with, what, five games left in the in the season, and you know, maybe the Chiefs were forced to air it out a little bit more because they, they didn't want to rely on some of their backup running. And, and even after Kareem Hunt, you saw some injuries go around at that running back position. So it was kind of difficult, but still Mahomes did what he needed to do to help the Chiefs offense move forward at the time. So, look, I, I'm excited to see him again. I don't need to see Mahomes put up 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards again. I don't need to see Damian Williams rush for a thousand yards because if he's not rushing for a thousand yards hopefully it's because some of the other running backs on this football team are out there carrying the load and trying to move forward with this offense and trying to help this offense repeat the performance that had the previous year because you know it's great the stats are great don't get me wrong but at the same time I think if you can have as many people contribute especially when it comes to trying to keep people fresh that's what matters to me the most and, you know, when it comes to your 53-man roster, and we'll see that eventually when when the Chiefs come out with that, this is going to be a team that, 
you know, you're going to have a lot of players on offense contribute, hopefully. I know Kareem Hunt, he was pretty damn close to a down-for-down running back. You hardly see that nowadays in the NFL. But I think given what this offense is going to look like, and I don't know if we're going to see any major changes. We're actually going to touch on that in just a moment. But I think with the way this offense is looking right now, you've got a lot of great players. And, you know, there's a reason why you had... Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill both have 1,300 receiving yards because they're capable of that. And even then, you had so many other people contribute on this offense. That's the beauty of this Chiefs offense right now is it's not just, you know, an MVP quarterback, a Pro Bowl wide receiver, and a Pro Bowl tight end. You have so many players on this offense that can really contribute into this, the success that this offense had in 2018 and hopefully carrying that over to 2019. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we've just continued to add weapons to we've got, you know, Carlos Hyde, who has proven that he can be a pretty solid running back here in the NFL. I think, you know, regardless of how the Hill situation shakes out, Mecole Hardman's going to be a very valuable asset. And I think that, uh, you know, a name that is a little bit underrated simply because the names above him are so much stronger is uh, Demarcus Robinson. I think he and Mahomes have pretty solid chemistry. If you look at the way that you know, when Mahomes had to bail out and throw across his body a few times, who was on the receiving end of a lot of those? It was Demarcus Robinson. So I think he's you know in for a big year as well, especially if Tyreek happens to miss some time. And I think that you know this year we'll see Sammy Watkins really take a step forward. Not that he hasn't been a great receiver thus far. I think for him the case has always just been health um, you know, that has been preventing him from really reaching his full potential. And I think that by all accounts that have you know based on the things that I've been reading over the past week it sounds like he's you know feeling good and healthy and stepping into a leadership role so hopefully that bodes well for his performance this year as well a couple of roster transactions uh with the Kansas City Chiefs linebacker Martrell uh Spate excuse me he retired uh and then running back Dante Johnson was released and replaced by tight end John Phillips but a week later John Phillips was released on Tuesday. Quarterback T.J. Linta, he was let go on Wednesday. And then also on Wednesday, offensive tackle, and I know I'm going to butcher his name. I believe it's pronounced Shidai Okeke or Okiki, not exactly sure. But the 6'6", 315-pound offensive tackle, undrafted rookie from Tennessee State. He is now part of the Kansas City Chiefs roster, so the Chiefs trying to have that 90-man roster uh, right now. I believe they've only got 89 players on the team, so they may look for one more soon, but you want to fill that up uh, as early as you can because you want to have 90 guys going into training camp so you can evaluate as many players as you can to see what you can do in uh, trying to form the best 53-man roster. But speaking of a 53-man roster, Zach, you actually took my what I thought was a 53-man roster. It actually was a 56-man roster, so I obviously cannot do math. Never been a big math guy in school. Uh, and nobody else pointed this out on Twitter. Imagine that. But you took my 56-man roster that I mistakenly put together, but you plugged it into SpotTrack, which is a website that basically has all the contract information for these uh, NFL players. And they do it for other sports as well. Very, very nice website. Uh, and you mentioned that the Chiefs still had a significant amount of cap room uh, with about $14 million of, of cap space right there. Now, Keep in mind, the Chiefs did not extend Tyreek Hill. They still have not uh, given Chris Jones uh, a big deal yet, and he's currently not at OTAs. Uh, so, so keep that in mind. But looking at that fourteen million dollars right now, what are you expecting 
the Chiefs to do with that. Uh, and if they do extend Chris Jones, uh, at the very least, uh, Tyreek Hill, I don't think that happens this year, given everything that's going on with him. But uh, even if they do extend Chris Jones, could the Chiefs still use that money left over to do something to try to improve their football team for 2019? I mean, I think it ultimately comes down to the players that are available. I mean, one of the names that we hear tossed around, especially here in town, uh, has been Patrick Peterson, which would be huge, though I also feel like it would have happened by now. Uh, though, that being said, with the way that his suspension came down, who knows, maybe we'll be able to get him at a lesser price. We'll find out. Uh, obviously, that's a move I'd like to see. Uh, one, I was reading a piece last week that suggested a potential straight-up trade of Reggie Ragland for uh, Josh Norman from the Redskins because Reuben Foster got hurt. Uh, he was kind of their big run-stopping middle linebacker, which we all know Reggie Ragland is very capable of. Uh, and if that was if that's remotely on the table, I think the Chiefs should do it tomorrow. Uh, but that's a separate discussion. But ultimately, I think it all comes down to we need to add, you know, we still need a little bit of help on the cornerback uh, position. I think that safety I'm you know cautiously optimistic about. I think that, you know, the addition of the Honey Badger plus Juan Thornhill in the draft and then Dan Sorensen returning, I think that, you know, we've got some solid safety play. And, you know, with Kendall Fuller, Charvarius Warden, Bashad Breland, I think that we've got some talent at the cornerback position. But, I you know, gone are the days where you only need two good cornerbacks in the NFL, like it or not, with the way that, you know, passing offenses have continued to evolve. If you don't have three really solid corners, you're going to struggle to stop the pass. That's just a fact. And so I'd like to see us put that money to work there, but ultimately it's going to come down to what players are legitimately available. You know, I've heard Jalen Ramsey might be up, uh, though I, if I'm the Jaguars, I obviously don't want to let him go. I wouldn't be surprised to see him extended. I'd be much more surprised to see him traded than extended, but... NFL teams do dumb things. I mean, the Chiefs included. You know, sending Marcus Peters away for a second-round pick comes to mind. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen, especially as teams start to trim the 90-man roster down to 53. So there could be you know interesting opportunities to put some of this money to work, but I guess there's nothing on the table immediately that jumps out to me as, yep, that's where we go spend that money. Where do you think the Chiefs will rank roughly? Because I think they'll definitely be out of the 31st ranking. I mean, it's hard to go down from there. I mean, I suppose there's one spot left. But I think they'll for sure be in the top 20. But if I had to put money down, I'm pretty confident they can be a top 10 defense this year. Uh, Especially because of that uh, defensive front that they're putting together with Chris Jones and Frank Clark right beside each other. I think that's going to be a very dangerous duo up there. And I think that's going to really help this defense make some make some strides and improvements. Where do you think this defense could rank in 2019? Sorry, just just to make sure I heard you right. Did you just say that you thought that the Chiefs could be a top 10 defense this year? Yeah, I absolutely do. I thought we were saving the hot take set segment for the end. <laughs> Regardless, well, I, I, think think they're gonna, I, I think they'll do it this year. I mean, I hope you're right. I don't think you're right, but I hope you're right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I... Honestly, I think that we're probably streaming for somewhere closer to 15th, which I'm totally fine with, uh, as long as the offense doesn't really regress, which, again, like like I said a little bit earlier on the show, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that 15th is fine. Uh, I just don't have the confidence yet in our cornerbacks. Uh, Like, that is really where I struggle. Uh, I think that we'll be able to generate more of a pass rush, because let's be honest, I pity the left side of every offensive line we're going up against, because... Hooray! You get to you know deal with Frank Clark uh, on the outside and then Chris Jones on the inside. Like yeah, have fun with that. Um, 
and <laughs> you know, I think that that'll certainly help in making our secondary look better. But until I see it take place, I don't know if I can quite go top ten. So I'll settle for fifteen. I mean, that, that if, if the offense does what it did last year, which again, very hard to do, but you're expecting similar things. Uh, if you have a 15th ranked defense, that should be enough to get you through the AFC championship game. And then from there, uh, I mean, you're just hoping for, for good things in that last game. Let us know your thoughts on anything we've discussed. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugan. You can send us a tweet at Farzine 21 and that Z stegging You can also leave a voicemail and text the podcast 913-808-2119. It is now time for our closing segments for the podcast. Let's go around the NFL. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have signed Ndamukong Sue after releasing Gerald McCoy. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm curious if the Bucs and Sue maybe verbally had an agreement uh, and made it, I guess, verbally official until McCoy was released. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. Does this help Tampa Bay? Does this make them any bit better for the following year? Because... I, I think Ndamukong Sue is a great player, but I don't know if this is going to help the Buccaneers necessarily move into the right direction. I mean, not be—I mean, not having the contract of the two to compare against each other, I'm willing to bet they're saving a little bit of money uh, just because they had signed McCoy to a pretty hefty uh, extension a few years back. And ultimately, I don't think anybody thinks the Bucks are going to be a contender this year. Maybe there's a handful of Bucks fans that think so, but... Ultimately, I think it's more about saving money and banking resources for the future. We did lose a legend this past week. Bart Starr passed away at 85 years old. Obviously, the MVP for the first two Super Bowls, five-time NFL passer rating leader, a four-time All-Pro and Pro Bowl selection. He won five NFL championships before uh, the, the Super Bowls came into play. 16 years as a player, one year as an assistant coach, and nine years as a head coach, 26 seasons all together, and all of them with the Green Bay Packers. And I know his run as a head coach wasn't very good, Zach, but this guy really put his fingerprint all over the Green Bay Packers organization as a player and a coach. One of the biggest names, and obviously a very a big icon in the fact that he was the first ever uh, Super Bowl MVP, doing so in the first two games, uh, definitely lost a legend in this sport in Bart Starr. Absolutely, and you know, really the impact that he had on the NFL in its early days is one that I think is understated, but it's certainly a loss without a doubt. Yeah, and I think you mentioned something interesting there, given what he did in his past. And you know, at some point, we're going to have a generation of NFL fans that are not going to be able to hear the stories from the 60s and the 70s because you know, I mean, life goes on. You know, people are going to pass away. There's going to be a generation that won't be able to hear the stories. Now, you're going to have the NFL Films, the NFL Networks, and the ESPN 30 for 30s. That'll be nice. But hearing stories from people who were able to witness uh, these games and these players from back then, uh, you know, it kind of makes me think there's going to be a generation at some point that's not going to be able to hear the stories uh, from a firsthand source. You know what I mean from that? Absolutely. I mean, you think about the way that you know baseball has that rich history where you know, some of the icons, you know, Babe Ruth, of course, being one of the biggest. But, you know, uh, there's not, certainly not people of our generation, uh, anybody who has ever seen or even, you know, heard firsthand accounts of 
you know, the man himself. And that's something that we've been spoiled with in the NFL, given that it's a slightly younger league. You know, people who have been able to see it from, you know, its very early goings uh, on, you know, on into today. And I think that, you know, just a brief part about Bart Starr there, I think he is one of the few quarterbacks, you know, while recognizing that the game has changed immensely since, you know, the first few years of the NFL, and it's kind of gone through a couple of different phases since then, I think that his is a game that would actually translate to today's NFL, and that's a rarity amongst quarterbacks of his era. On Saturday, uh, it was May the 27th, and the reason I mentioned that, that was the 50-year anniversary of the announcement of Monday Night Football. Uh, uh, the NFL commissioner at the time, uh, Rizal, and uh, I believe ABC's um, director, they got together and they made that announcement. Uh, look, Monday is everyone's least favorite day of the week, but Monday Night Football has helped alleviate that during football season. I'm curious, Zach, from you and your years, you know, watching football, being a football fan, what is one Monday Night Football moment that sticks out to you the most? Ooh, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, one that immediately sticks out uh, is just, you know, the very first time, like, I, so I didn't really start paying attention to football, you know, until really the early Vermeil uh, era, you know, when we had Priest Holmes and stuff like that's when I grew up and started actually like paying attention to and getting sports. Uh, and it was a couple years later there where we were playing against the Patriots. Just that was the first Monday night game I ever remember. And I remember being so excited because, you know, up to that point, you know, Chiefs games were played on Sundays and that's fine. Uh, but, you know, having that national broadcast uh, for the very first time, like it just felt like such a bigger deal. Like looking back, you know, that's just a little kid not totally understanding the impact of the moment. But, you know, I certainly still remember it very fondly as like, yeah, we're, we're you know, the Chiefs are actually getting to play on Monday night, you know, because up to that point, I don't really have much memory of that. So that's the one that sticks out to me the most. You know, a lot of Chiefs fans are, are I mean, we, we I had this discussion on the Facebook page. A lot of Chiefs fans mentioned the Montana versus Elway epic Monday night football game. And rightfully so. That's one of the best Monday night football games ever. Uh, in terms of a Chiefs Monday Night Football moment, and maybe I'm a little biased because I attended this one when Philip Rivers fumbled the snap on Halloween in 2011, and I still remember that because they were in field goal range, and I remember my family and I we were packing our stuff, getting ready to go. People around us were pretty pessimistic, and they were getting ready to go. And then a firework goes off in the parking lot. Rivers fumbled to snap, and all of a sudden you see a brand new ball game, and the Chiefs. Win it in overtime, and that was, of course, Rivers uh, when he lipped. Uh, worst, uh, worst, uh, what was it? Worst day ever, I think is what he said. I think or so. worst game ever. Yeah, yeah. Worst I mean, that game was, ever. Yeah, that was that was epic. Uh, in terms of an over, outside of Kansas City, I've got to say, man, Brett Favre and the type of game he had after his father's passing, that was really inspiring to see. And he did it against the Oakland Raiders, which makes it a little bit better, if I remember correctly. So. Uh, one of the more inspiring performances uh, coming off his father's death and doing so on Monday night uh, with all the things you're dealing with, uh, I thought was one of the more special moments in Monday night football history. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's amazing to think that it's been 50 years that that's been going on. Um, because, I mean, you know, for you and I, especially like, you know, we don't remember a world without Monday night football. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Monday night football was always just kind of looked at as like, yeah, Mondays suck, but we have Monday night football to make it better, and I like that aspect of it. Let's go out of bounds. The NBA Finals is set. Warriors and Raptors. 
Zach, I've got to know, what are your thoughts on this matchup? And who do you have pulling out as world champs? I mean, obviously the Warriors are you know, the real-life equivalent of the Monstars of Space Jam fame. Uh, but I, I don't know. There's just something about this Raptors team and the way that they just have not gone away that I can't really write them off. Like I got every fabric of my being wants to take the Raptors, and so, you know, why not? I'm going to go ahead and bite the bullet and say, you know, let's go with the Raptors in seven, but, you know, logically speaking, I'm pretty sure the Warriors going to take another one. Uh, but yeah. you can put me on the record with the Raptors. Sign me up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Warriors here. I think both paths have been very interesting with the Warriors being able to do so much of this without Kevin Durant. And, and from the Raptors' standpoint, let's not forget, and look, I know every NBA All-Star is rumored to go to the Lakers, but Kawhi Leonard, it seemed like there was some serious traction that he was going to go to the Lakers, and when it didn't happen, he was pretty frustrated. Wasn't you know, There were all these talks about how he wasn't happy to go to Toronto, but Given the way that Toronto's performed this year was one of the best teams in the league, and obviously that big game winner over the 76ers, I mean, this has been a really remarkable year for the Raptors and obviously for uh, Kawhi Leonard as well. Sometimes, man, you just got to trust the process and understand things happen for a reason and, and let it all play out. So uh, maybe it's a good thing he didn't end up going to the Lakers because now here you are with the Raptors and you know, does this become a long-term thing? I mean, I, I don't know. A lot of people think he's still moving on after this, but... Uh, you never know, man. I, I, I think uh, when you're at a place like Toronto, when good things are happening like this, why leave? Uh, I, I, I don't know exactly what is going on in his life and where he wants to be, but y you always want to be in a good spot. And right now, Toronto seems to be the place for that. And speaking of a spot that someone's going to stay in, Sylvia Souza, he is free and he can return the action for the Jayhawks. And this gives the Jayhawks two big men up front with Yudoka Azubuki returning from injury. Uh, I know Quentin Grimes is now returning. He's withdrawn from the NBA draft. A surprise to a lot of people. Uh, but, but let me just focus on this for a moment because the NCAA needs to be held accountable here. I'm sure KU and Jayhawks fans are thankful that this whole thing is over with. But this is also a big waste of time for Silvio Souza to sit out for this long only for it to be determined that he's clear. Now, he did threaten to leave for the NBA at one point, which I thought was surprising. And if this did not get overturned, he was going to move on to the NBA. Uh, coincidence? I, I think not. And here he is now after the talks of him possibly moving on. He's now clear. I'll say coincidence, absolutely not. Whether that was just you know a ploy to be able to you know, get the... Uh... You know, kind of light a fire under the NCAA and specifically the appeals committee in this case. For me, I think that it's just absolutely ridiculous the way that you know supposedly he you know his guardian took twenty five hundred dollars. Um, Josh Selby was documented as taking way more than that, and he sat out nine games. And I know that you know with the FBI trials taking place the way that they have, the NCAA wants to you know be all big and tough and show that you know, hey. You know, we're whenever we're coming at you, we're gonna actually, you know, hit you with some sanctions with some teeth. We all know that's not the case, uh -huh. and so I'm glad to see that you know Silvio's been cleared. Look forward to seeing what he can do next year. Uh, also, want to mention that Devon Dotson has also decided to return. I did just check to find that out. That has taken place since we started recording this, so it should be interesting uh, season here in Kansas. Yeah, I know R.J. Hampton, uh, the number five recruit in the nation on ESPN South 100. He, uh, a lot of people thought he was going to pick KU, but instead he's going uh, overseas to play basketball. Were you surprised by this at all? I was, uh, 
specifically because historically speaking most of the players that have chosen to take their talents overseas rather than play a year of NCAA basketball most of them have had eligibility concerns mostly from a grades standpoint and that's one thing that makes RJ Hampton unique uh he had the grades he absolutely would have qualified uh and honestly even reclassified to be able to play NCAA basketball a year early and so depending on how it affects his draft stock for next year I think that's been the debate rages on about whether or not the exposure of playing stateside is worth the fact that you're not paid versus going overseas getting paid but maybe not having quite the same level of exposure Uh, I think that it'll be interesting to see you know a year from now as we're looking at the 2020 NBA draft and where RJ Hampton fits into it I think that it could very well be a potential watershed moment for uh, players to decide, you know what, I am going to take my talents overseas. I'm not going to sign up for my obligatory year of NCAA exploitation. Uh, so I think that it'll be interesting to see if he you know, manages to still be a top five or even a lottery pick. I think you might see a handful of players look to do something similar, though I don't know if it'll totally start a trend simply because of the fact that part of the reason that this is palatable for him and his family is the fact that his dad did play overseas. So it's not, you know, your average scenario, if that makes sense. But, you know, disappointed to not see him at KU, but okay with seeing him stick it to the NCAA just the same. Let's keep the train moving here. Let's go to our penalty flags. Ezekiel Elliott goes face-to-face with a staffer at this outdoor event in Vegas. Uh, I mean, it's happening at night, so it's a little hard to see with some of the things going on. Uh, He got pretty close to, I believe, a staffer, a security guy. I don't know exactly what happened, but he uh, lightly pushes him down. He was getting, like I said, face-to-face with him, pretty close. And because Zeke is a much bigger guy, this guy falls down. He had his back up against a wall, and... Zeke ended up being in handcuffs. Now, he was not uh, taken to jail, nor he w- was he charged. But the people saying that he barely pushed the staffer down are the same ones who say Kareem Hunt barely kicked the woman. Yet, if anyone was on the other end of, of, of you know being pushed down or being kicked like that, they would be really quick to call their attorney and sue as fast as possible. Look, man, assault is assault. Ezekiel Elliott, for him to even be in that situation, he's an idiot. And there is footage of this. He was not charged, but that means nothing. Like I said, Kareem Hunt was never charged nor arrested, and that got him kicked off the Chiefs and led to an eight-game suspension in addition to missing the five games of the regular season. Also, keep in mind, Zeke, uh, although there was no proof of any of this, the Cowboys tried very hard to fight it. He was suspended six games for a domestic violence incident, and what the league is calling it. So if the league feels the need to, su- to suspend him, uh, this would be his second strike uh, from the NFL. Yeah, I don't like the look of it. To be fair, I haven't seen this tape, uh, and so I don't want to comment as to, you know, I guess the magnitude of what he did. But uh, the, what I'll say for Zeke in this case is this. The fact that, like it or not, you know, sometimes when you're the big guy going out in places, it's especially if you're, you know, an NFL football player, you know, you get people with a head full of steam that want a PC, yeah, and, you know, it gets tough to remove yourself from some of those situations. Like, you can only turn the other cheek so many times. So, you know, 
again, not knowing the entire scenario here, I'm not saying that that's the case, but, you know, it's never a good look, no matter what, especially for somebody who has dealt with the arbitrary, you know, Goodell penalty that he has in the past. I just, I, I, I can't really, you know, especially if I'm a Cowboys fan, I, I just can't, you know, get behind some of these things taking place. Like, you just... You know, keep your hands to yourself. I mean, you're, you like it or not, as an NFL player, you do know that you're bigger and stronger than everybody else, and you should definitely act accordingly. Yeah, and like I said, I, I mean, I know the first incident, a lot of people disagree with how the league handled it, but this would be his second strike against the NFL, and it uh, does not look good for him, nor the Dallas Cowboys. To be fair, though, this one... You know, the the league especially needs to crack down on the domestic violence. This not being domestic, there might be oh, a little sure, bit more leniency sure. on that front. Not saying that that's right, but this is how the NFL thinks. They don't necessarily think in terms of you know what's right and what's wrong. It's what's good or bad PR. A 14-year-old challenged LeBron James to a three-point shooting contest, and he lost. Now look. I know you're 14 years old. You're not the smartest kid in the world. I did some dumb things when I was 14. Zach, you did some dumb things when you were 14. But at 14, you should know you're not going to beat the king in basketball. You're just not going to. That's like a a boxer challenging a black belt in karate. I mean, you just don't do that. That's like a small market media outlet thinking they have more resources than a national media outlet. That is like a person trying to stop a tornado, Zach. Know your place. Don't challenge the kid. To be fair, the kid did hit, you know, they went three for three, and then the kid bricked one. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, you should ever come at the king. And if you do, you best not miss. In this case, the kid missed. But at the same time, like, hey, he's 14, and that's a memory he's going to have for the rest of his life, you know, actually getting to do a three-point shooting contest with LeBron. Like, how cool is that? To play devil's advocate, though, I would challenge Shaquille O'Neal to a, to a free throw contest. I just would. Oh, that's cold, Farce. Shaq's one I mean, of my favorites, easy. but that's cold. <laughs> it's, it's just too easy. You, 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 you've got to do that. Larry Johnson. Speaking of going after people, he went after Jamal Charles on Twitter. Uh, here's the tweet. He tags Jamal Charles and says, Hey, expletive. You got three days to apologize for that weak-ass article you said about me when I did nothing about Big You Up, whatever the hell that means. I think from it might have been Ring. Uh, who knows? Uh, he Typing's says, from hard. Adam, don't forget you were with me on my birthday at my house. I let expletive slide for a min, a minute, I assume, but you forget. I have no idea what the hell this has to do with anything. I think it's from an article Jamal Charles gave an interview. I don't know what interview or what article this is. But let me just say this. If you have an issue with someone, just text them. Especially when it's two public figures. Just message them on their phone or call them. Hey, I don't appreciate you saying this. Don't do it publicly. I mean, look, from an outside perspective, like you and I, it's probably funny to watch. I mean, we probably want to grab some popcorn and see what's going on. But for crying out loud, act like a grown man. If you feel the need to confront someone, don't do it publicly. Let's not forget what got Larry Johnson kicked off the team before in 2009. It was his tweets, and here he is doing it again. Yeah, I just, I mean, not knowing the story here, I'm just, you know, picturing those two actually going toe-to-toe. And, you know, it's strength versus speed right there. I think that'd be an interesting cage match, no doubt. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I just don't even know, like, 
why are you doing this publicly? Why? That I have no answer for. I mean, plain and simple, like, you know, you and I disagree, but I'm not going to go put you on blast on Twitter like that. Like, that's just, you know, I, I think that there's a time and a place to handle your business, and Twitter is not normally it or ever yeah. it. I, I just feel like when Larry Johnson was starting to maybe be on everyone's good side, I mean, he, he does this, and look, I, I mean, I'm not saying Jamal Charles is a full angel. I mean, we, we don't know these people personally, but we know more about LJ off the field than we do about Jamal Charles, and that's really not a good thing. Uh, just not a good look for Larry Johnson at all. All right, I want to get into this. This is our final segment of the show, and it's a new segment we are introducing. It is called the Hot Take of the Week, but according to Zach, I already have one hot take for this week. You can use it uh, again. It's fine. It, it is time... That we provide a safe space where we get to publicly give out our insane opinions that go against conventional wisdom. Maybe you get killed for your hot takes elsewhere, but on this podcast and specifically on this segment, we give you a judge-free zone to share those idiotic opinions against conventional wisdom. Now, I've got to address this question, Zach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nice about it for this episode, maybe next week as well, because we got some hot takes that were not necessarily hot takes. What is a hot take? A hot take isn't something that you're necessarily upset about, necessarily. You can be, but you don't have to be. But a hot take, more importantly, is when you have a highly unpopular opinion. You say one thing when nearly everyone disagrees or strongly strongly believes in the opposite of what you believe, and they go in a different direction. So, for example, I hate traffic. I hate going to the dentist. I hate getting surgery. I hate paying bills. Those aren't hot takes. Those are not hot takes at all. Those are normal takes. A hot take would be, man, I love traffic. I love sitting on I-35 southbound for an hour during the 5 o'clock hour and wasting gas. That would be a hot take right there. A hot take would be Patrick Mahomes is going to do horrible in 2019. A hot take isn't Patrick Mahomes is on his way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Given his trajectory, a lot of people are thinking that about Patrick Mahomes. So make sure you know a hot take is not something that you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be a good point. You can make valid points on all of this, but at the end of the day, it's got to be something against conventional wisdom. Now, each and every week, I want you guys to join in and give us your hot takes, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, I'll ask for them every week, or you can call in or text us 913-808-2119. We do have a call in that we will get to later on. Uh, I'm going to start here. Now, here's what we're going to do for the first uh, hot take segment. We're going to make it Chiefs related. I will ask people, what is your hot take? Whether it's current with the Chiefs or in Chiefs history. And we got some interesting responses here. I'll get into those later on. But I'm going to start with my hot take, Zach. And then I'll let you give your hot take. My hot take is, we just talked about this guy. Larry Johnson is the best running back the Chiefs have ever, ever had. Hot take. No, that's just a dumb take. Larry Johnson was 75 yards away from breaking Priest Holmes' record for most rushing yards in a single season. He had back-to-back 1,700-yard seasons. I know he was more of a one-dimensional running back, didn't do a lot of blocking, didn't do a lot of uh, pass catching for the Chiefs, and if he could have done that, man, he would have been a much better running back. But this guy, when he got the football in his hands... I mean, he just went full speed, and not the fastest guy in the world, but this guy dominated on the field, and 
It was hard to take him down. It really was. Now, you look at what happened in 2007 and in 2008. He still had some nice moments there, but he really hit a decline with some injuries off the field, troubles, and all of that. But, man, I feel like if Larry Johnson put forth the effort, he would not, and stayed out of trouble, I think he would have not only been the leader in rushing in uh, franchise history, but I think he would have had it by a long shot. And I think by that point, maybe a Jamal Charles situation doesn't even happen then. Now, I'm glad Jamal Charles got his opportunity here. I think he was very deserving of it. But Larry Johnson, to me, best running back, better than Okoye, better than Holmes, better than Charles, the best running back the Chiefs have ever had. I mean, you definitely you know, hit the spirit of the segment for sure. I mean, Jamal Charles isn't just the you know all-time franchise rushing leader or anything, and you know we didn't have Marcus Allen or Christian Nicole or you know any of those guys. But you know, I, I get it. You know, I respect the you know you definitely nailed the the hot take aspect of this. I don't necessarily agree. I think that you know part of his success was you know just a numbers game like he had more carries you know those two years than he had the other 1700 rushing yards or whatever that you mentioned i don't have the stats in front of me but i know that you know he led the league in carries both times uh so you know there's certainly a part of it there whereas jamal you know he did a lot with a little and if he could have stayed healthy he would have gone down i mean he'd be in canton you know really soon your points right there, that perfectly explains the the point of this segment, the hot take. It's not necessarily the most agreeable topic. Maybe you hear our explanations to our hot takes and you still disagree. That is the point of a hot take. Uh, I'm going to pull up some of the hot takes, but in the meantime, uh, Zach, go ahead and give us your hot take for this week. See, now I feel like my take's not hot enough following that, but... Uh, mine is that Reggie Ragland does not break camp with the Chiefs. Hot take. I think that he either gets traded or cut because, plain and simple, the man does not have the ability to, you know, effectively cover in the passing game. He just doesn't. Uh, I mean, he's a great run stopper, but in today's NFL, that's less of a premium than it once was. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, break camp with some other NFL team. See, I think that's interesting because Reggie Ragland in 2017 did some pretty good things for the Chiefs. Joined in a little bit late, didn't play a whole lot early, but uh, man, he really did a lot of good things in 2017. And then in 2018, playing with, uh, uh, boy, his his name escapes my mind right now, Uh, from the Cowboys, he came over. Hitchens. Uh, Yeah, Anthony Hitchens. I mean, all of a sudden... They both hit a brick wall. They they were both among some of the best when it came to trying to stop the run. And then they just could not do it in 2018. I don't know why. I still think Ragland's going to be a uh, an integral part of the defense. Uh, I, I think he's one of the best linebackers you have right now, despite how bad he was last year. But, uh, I mean, it, it's not a scorching hot take like mine. But, uh, I mean, that's definitely a hot take because he is a big part of this team right now, uh, and there are some expectations from him, I think, uh, but you're saying otherwise. Yeah, I just don't think that, I mean, part of it also stems from the fact that, you know, when did we get him? It's when Buffalo underwent a similar shift to what we're doing this year, which is to say they're making the shift from, you know, a 3-4 defense to a 4-3 defense, and Ragland is a better fit as the run stopper in a 3-4. That's just... Yeah, I think that's just kind of the facts. I'm trying to pull up to see the uh, hot takes on Twitter. 
Um, but I'm going to go to the Facebook page first. Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm going to read some of these. Some are hot takes, some are not. This is going to be a learning segment. Uh, the first one comes from Charlie. He says Tyreek Hill will be at training camp in St. Joe. I'm on the fence about that, but I'll, I'll say it's a hot take. What do you say? I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's about as hot as mine. It's not scorching like yours. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, he and I are chilling in the 5 or 6 range, whereas you went to a 16. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's certainly within the realm of possibility. I don't think that, you know, if if training camp started tomorrow, he's absolutely there, so. Uh, Benjamin says Demar- Benjamin says Demarcus Robinson will have 700 receiving yards. Not a hot take. Enrique says uh, Byron Pringle will make the roster and play this year. Uh, one is I a hot really, take. I, one is not. Make the I, roster. I, not not a hot take. On- play a lot. That's a hotter take. Yes, I, I, I'll agree with you right there. Let's rephrase ben that says, though. Play a lot on offense. Like special teams in this case does not count. No, I, I, that I agree with you. Ben says defensive improvement is a key. If not, we need to look at head coach tired of close, but no cigar. Uh, I I don't really know about that one. I mean, I I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, which I guess therefore it does make it a hotter take. I mean, if, you know, say we have a similar season to what we had last season, you know, that's a hot take. If Andy Reid gets fired after last season, if that makes sense, like if we do that twice in a row, uh, yeah, I think that certainly qualifies as a hot take. James says we would have won a Super Bowl or two with Rich Gannon as our QB. Gerbeck sucks. I don't think that's a hot take. Uh, yeah, I mean, Gerbeck Shane... won, or not Gerbeck, uh, Gannon did go on to win a Super Bowl with the Raiders. So, yeah, I don't know if I can call that hot. I like uh, it, though. This this one is definitely a hot take. Shane says even if Tyreek Hill is suspended, the Chiefs' offense will still perform at a historic clip. Yeah, I can get behind it though. I mean, like that's the sort of hot take that I could I could see it. You know, I'd put that at like a seven out of ten on the hot scale. Uh, you know, ten being the hottest. Uh, I you know I think you could toss Miko Hardman in, and at least if you know in the first couple of weeks of the season, you hit a couple of big downfield passes to him to prove like, hey, guess what? This guy isn't quite Tyreek Hill, but he can still take the top off your defense. I think that there's definitely uh, it, it's certainly possible. Is I guess what I'll say for it. Phillips says Mahomes will somehow repeat his historical season. Not a hot take. Brandon says defenses have footage on Mahomes, so now he's going to have a rise and fall similar to Colin Kaepernick. That is definitely a hot take. Saying that Mahomes will be Colin Kaepernick, that I, I, definitely a hot take. Yeah, I'd say that's almost as hot as yours. Not, not quite. Mm, I don't know. Maybe it's about the same. But I don't think that... Uh, yeah, plain and simple, you can have footage of Mahomes throwing those ridiculous bombs off his back foot across his body. That doesn't mean you're going to be any more capable of stopping it. So again, just to be clear, uh, some of these are, are interesting points, but they're not necessarily hot takes. So again, this is a learning experience right now for all of us. Uh, going to go to Twitter now. Uh, Matt Stagner, who's been a guest on the podcast, uh, with uh, a writer for Arrowhead Pride, he says, Kelsey is greater than Tony Gonzalez. Uh, I don't really know if that's a hot take. I think a lot of people think that right now. Uh, Chiefs fans at least think that. Uh, BBQ Chicken 27 that's an interesting name. He says the Chiefs are actually more well-rounded on offense without Tyreek Hill for the first half of the season, contrary to popular belief. Uh, they will learn to control the clock and strike when the time is right, taking a lot of pressure off the defense. I, I, I mean, to say the Chiefs are more well-rounded without Tyreek Hill, that is a hot take. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, I guess it kind of comes down to you know how you look at well-rounded. I mean, if you look at well-rounded to mean like you don't have some of the elite talent, well then, yeah, by definition, without Tyreek, that is, you know, he's truly an elite talent from a speed perspective especially, and you compare, or you pair his speed with Mahomes' arm, and that's a, you know, that's a combination that no one else in the NFL has. So I guess, you know, it rounds us out by taking the top off of it, which is a little bit disappointing, not how I'd want to round out, but yeah, I can get behind it. <laughs> Arrowhead Tom, nice guy uh, from Arrowhead Attic, but not a nice hot take. He says the Chiefs should keep an eye on Brandon Albert's availability. Or is on the he still in the line. league? The, uh, yeah, he's with the Miami Dolphins. He did some good things too before his injury. The next two I want to tie in together because I think this – this isn't a hot take. Neither of these are. Uh, Casey Norris, also from Arrowhead Addict, he says, Aaron Murray was going to be the future. Uh, I suppose, but when you're you're talking past tense, uh, I, I don't really know about that. Jamie says, I thought Brady Quinn was going to turn this franchise around. Uh, again, you're kind of going past tense there, so I'm not a big fan of that. Derek Man, says... I, I gotta oh, go get ahead. in on that one, though. The Aaron Murray one specifically... That is the textbook example of someone who should not have gone back to college. He was going to be a first-round pick if he had come out as a junior, and instead he went back for a senior year, got hurt, ended up a fifth-round pick, and we all saw how that turned out. I think that, honestly, like he absolutely had the talent, but like it or not, when you know, in the NFL, unless you show really quickly in your late-round pick that you belong, you don't have nearly the leash that a first- or second-rounder does. And if he had had that sort of a leash, I think you'd see him as a starter in today's NFL. Okay, I'm not going to read all of these, uh, but I'll read a couple of them that are hot takes. Lyle, also from Arrowhead Addict, he says, he actually gave me two hot takes. I'll read the better one. He says, I still like Todd Haley and think that he could win with the right general manager. I think that is a hot take. Uh, Jeff I wrote a really interesting it, one. Uh, what's that? he's on to something there. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, if he hadn't gotten, to, gotten into the, you know, kind of ego contest with Big Ben, I think you know, he's absolutely one of the better offensive coordinators we've seen in the last, you know, 10, 15 years of the NFL. Jeff has an interesting one. He says, if Sean Smith doesn't get suspended in 2015, the Chiefs win a Super Bowl. The Broncos' only offense versus the Chiefs was to throw to whoever was against Jamal Fleming. That game ended up determining home field advantage. I think the Jamal Charles fumble also had something to do with it in that game. But, he, I mean, he's blaming He's essentially saying home field advantage in the Super Bowl was because of Sean Smith's suspension. I mean... I, I can't really disagree with that entirely. Like I hadn't actually considered it, so I'm just kind of like you know processing as we go here. But he might actually see, be onto something there. See, some of these can be agreeable too, but I mean that's a that's a rare opinion that you don't hear a lot of people say. So that that that, that definitely makes it a hot take. This is the last one I'm, I'm going to read. Uh, in fact, we have heard this hot take before, Zach. Father Mc, McDongle McDungle. I don't know how you say that. He says the Chiefs will have a top ten defense this year. I mean. Yeah, I said earlier in the segment that qualifies as a hot take, and it is absolutely that. I think that, don't get me wrong, I hope that, you know, we're sitting here, you know, by week 12, and, you know, it's looking like I'm absolutely wrong in terms of our evaluation of the defense. If that's the case, I will happily eat my words, but I don't think it's going to happen. All right, so have we established what a hot take is on this segment? I think we've shown people a range. You know, you've got the steaming hot take like you gave, which was, you know, Larry Johnson being the best and best running back in franchise history on down to, you know, more, you know, kind of mild takes, if you will. So it'll be interesting to see how this segment continues to evolve, because honestly, I feel like I need to turn up the heat on my hot takes to keep up with you now. 
Now, and by the way, we do have a voicemail uh, about a hot take. He, 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 it's a little borderline, but we'll play it. Uh, but again, our hot takes from here on out, it can range from anything. It can be Chiefs-related. It can be NFL-related. It can be non-sports-related. I mean, we're going to go out to... Uh, we're going to venture out with this topic. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I want as many people to participate. That's what I'm saying. To call in, text, uh, tweet us your hot takes, whatever it is. Because I want to read some of these. Uh, like I said, we read some. Some were not. Some were. Uh, but like I said, we're learning. Here is a phone call from Chase. He's got an interesting hot take. Uh, let's listen in. You see the Kansas City Chiefs trading this game. And if so, when do they do it? And if they want to Okay, so that was from Chase. Now, he was asking about a possible hot take. Not necessarily hot take. Uh, he was asking, and, I, and I, know, I know that was a little hard to hear. He's asking, could Chris Jones get traded? A hot take would be Chris, Chris Jones, Jones is, getting, is traded. getting traded. Yes, Chris Jones is getting traded because Kalen Saunders and Derek Nottie are the future at defensive tackle. See, that, and I think that was a good example to use right there. Uh, and no, I don't think Chris Jones gets traded. Do you? I don't, but depending on, I mean, I'll always consider any deal uh, in context. And so if you're going to tell me that you know, we can use Chris Jones to get somebody like a Jalen Ramsey, where in this case, you know, both teams would need to be able to re-sign uh, those players for a long-term deal. I don't know if I'd totally be opposed to that. I mean, I like Chris Jones and I don't want to see him in any other uniform, but no, if he, you know, I think that ultimately we're going to pay the guy plain and simple. And so, as such, I don't think we're going to trade him. But I would also love to see him in training camp right now. Or OTAs, I guess, sorry. Uh, so, it'll be interesting to see what shakes out with Chris Jones. But I think it's way more likely that we pay the man than trade the man. All right. So, I think we've established some examples uh, of hot takes and what are not hot takes. So, I want to hear from you guys. Again, Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. I'll have a thread next week asking for your hot takes. I'll do the same on Twitter as well. And I'll tag Zach. That way he and I can both see the hot takes at Farzine21 at Z Steginga. Follow us on Twitter and interact with us on there as well. Appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to us here on the Chiefstone Podcast. A big welcome to Zach. Hope you enjoyed the first episode. Uh, what did you think of the first episode? This was great fun. I mean, I'm you know excited to you know continue this and keep it going. Awesome. Well, again, make sure you give Zach a warm welcome. Give him a follow on Twitter at ZStegenga. And again, interact with us on social media. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify. We're working on trying to get some other uh, podcasting outlets out there in the meantime. But uh, go ahead and subscribe. Share the links as well. And like I said, interact with us on social media. We will be back same time, same place. Until then, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you next week.